Well, welcome to the 10th in our series of COVID-19 podcasts. The topic of this podcast is living and working in India during COVID-19 and the effect of this pandemic on black and minority ethnic communities. I'm so happy to be joined on my latest podcast by my colleague, Dr. Bagteshwar Singh. I first got to know BAG um, when the Brain Infections Global Study was put together, looking at brain infections in low to middle income countries. Uh, in our case, we were working in Malawi, India and Brazil, and Bag and I are both collaborators on the study. We've worked together so far in the UK, India several times and Malawi. Bag's currently based at Christian Medical College in Vellore in India, where he's working with Brain Infections Global. And he's also a clinical trainee in infectious diseases and general internal medicine in Liverpool um, in the United Kingdom. So thanks so much for joining me, Bag. Um, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ava. Um, quite busy, but that's um, kind of nicer at times like this. Um, well, look, let's start. Um, tell me a little bit about your background bag. Uh, so I, I graduated as a, as a medical doctor about 12 years ago uh, in Manchester in the UK. And um, since then, I've focused on uh, general medicine and infectious diseases training. And I'm uh, about a year away from being a consultant in, in those specialties uh, in, in Liverpool. Um, and um, about two years ago, I got this uh, wonderful opportunity to be uh, part of uh, this brain infections group um, across Brazil, India, Malawi, and the UK as uh, that, that we're both part of. Um, so that's what I've been doing uh, full time uh, since 2018 um, as a researcher and a, a PhD student. So look, tell me a little bit about Brain Infections Global and what the study is and, and why is it so important? Uh, so this study is all about uh, trying to make a diagnosis uh, more quickly and accurately in uh, people who come to hospital with possible brain infections. Uh, it can be really unclear initially when someone uh, arrives at hospital, uh, firstly, whether they actually have a brain infection and secondly, uh, what might be causing it. And that is really key in terms of working out how best to um, provide treatment to, to, to those people, uh, how long to keep them in hospital and uh, potentially is, is the key then to uh, reducing the amount of disability and the likelihood of death from uh, what can be uh, devastating conditions. Um, and over years, we've realized that um, there is no magic bullet. You can't just send one test in and, and diagnose everyone um, and that you need to look at different parts of the system within hospitals and, and the wider healthcare uh, system to try and um, uh, attack the problem from various angles. And that's exactly what we're trying to do in, in the Brain Infections Global Group in Brazil, India, and Malawi, but with a view to working out what might work uh, beyond those countries in other low and middle income uh, country settings. Um, well, thanks for that. Look, you know, you've been living and working in India throughout this pandemic. So turning firstly to that, I guess, how, in your opinion, is India coping with COVID-19? So had you asked me this question back in March, you know, to predict how well things would have gone, uh, I, I think um, I would have said that India would have done really badly. They would have been uh, by far the most deaths um, in any country in the world. Um, because um, although there have been improvements, India's public health uh, infrastructure and 
um, uh, especially public hospitals, um, are uh, you know are, are struggling otherwise as well. And with the additional strain from the pandemic, um, I think everyone that I've spoken to for advice as to whether to stay here in India or come back to the UK in in uh, March uh, was that um, you know. India would probably be hit quite badly and it might be better for me to help the pandemic response there. Um, and so, uh, however, um, even though the numbers, the actual number of cases has been massive now and has, um, uh, you know, almost just behind the US, I, I know India is, but it's almost the worst affected country in terms of the number of cases. Um, there haven't been so many deaths. And I think closing down early, stopping international travel, um, making sure everyone uh, quite um, strictly adheres to a national lockdown very early on, I think bought um, India time in terms of uh, increasing the number of tests that are available, uh, in terms of uh, working out processes for testing and tracing people who, who might have COVID or who, who might be in contact uh, with people who do, and uh, preparing hospitals for um, uh, looking after patients who, who, who come there. So I think that has actually placed India in a better position in terms of tackling the pandemic. There have been criticisms about um, uh, there not being enough uh, preparation for the social and economic effects of a really strict lockdown uh, back in, in March and April. And I think, um, you know, and I saw those uh, uh, side effects, uh, which um, obviously a lot of parts of the world have. Um, and I think due to that, it, it had to be relaxed progressively. And since then, we, we have seen a rise in cases. Um, probably, um, you know, ho hopefully we're past the, the first peak at least, but there have been uh, lots of cases. Yeah, um, I mean, you're right. You know, I was reading um, that, uh, that there's been over 8 million cases of COVID in India with 121,000 deaths, which very much places it second to the US as one of the worst affected countries. But as you just pointed out there, it's got one of the lowest, what we call kind of case fatality rates. So, you know, one of the lowest death rates, less than 2%. And, and so you, you think um, it's for, really, it's down to that early lockdown, is it? Is that what you think as to why they've had less deaths than um, than most other countries? I think um, with with a um, with percentages that were very different a few months ago. I think at that point um, uh, it, it was it was definitely safe to say that there are probably a, a number of factors at play. I think as as time goes on, I think we're realizing, for example, in in the UK, um, there are more tests being done, and therefore we're picking up lots of people with more mild disease. Um, and um, that, you know, in itself means that um, the, the case fatality ratio or rate comes down, um, uh, as you see in, in epidemics. But, but I, I, I do wonder if there are still a number of factors. I don't think there's, there's one answer. One of them could be that, um, uh, you know, if we're comparing with Western Europe and with the US, India has a, a lower average age of the population. And we know that there is this uh, exponential increase in, in risk of dying from, from COVID as, as uh, people get older, especially beyond the ages of, of uh, 70 and 80. And the proportion of the population that are above those it is in, um, in quite a lot of places that were hit uh, badly earlier. So that's one thing. There's also other potential uh, reasons for it, uh, like, you know, uh, 
increased awareness and people being more willing to get tests and, and they're being uh, more accessible. Um, and, um, you know, potentially there are things that we don't know yet that might be different about the environment and about uh, people, um, you know, uh, how, how they are in terms of their risk factors for, for severe disease as well that haven't fully been uh, explained yet or uh, answered yet. No, right. I mean, there's so much, you know, this is the, one of the most extraordinary viruses um, and there's so much that we don't know about it. And, and thankfully, you know, so much research going on. Um, you mentioned about the virus peaking. I read that it had peaked in September in India. Is that still the case? Um, overall, I, I would say that's what it still looks like now. I guess that the problem with um, uh, lumping all of the data from India together is that um, there are, you know, it's a big country. Um, it's almost as though it's like Europe and the individual states are Europe, you know, EU countries almost. Um, so each state was, um, so, um, you know, the, the very big cities, Mumbai, Delhi, Chennai, for example, were, were hit very early and the states around them, um, you know, probably had their peaks a few months before September. But the um, as then um, COVID spread around the country, the, the total number of cases then seems to have peaked in, in September. But there are now some states which are lagging behind, so to speak, in terms of their, 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 their waves of, of the, the pandemic. And so some of them are, are, are still at their peak. Here where I am in Valor, in Tamil Nadu, a southern state, um, it looks as though the peak was uh, closer to August, September. And, and, and since then, there have been um, there has been a decrease in, in numbers of new cases per day. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, you make a very, uh, very important point about what a huge country India is and, and um, you know, that there's lots of geographical variations across the country. I was also um, reading about um, India's pollution season, as it's called, um, where the air quality in Delhi and other cities deteriorates. Um, it, the suggestion in what I was reading was that this could lead to um, a higher number of COVID cases and deaths. What's, do you have a perspective on that? What can you tell us? Uh, so uh, as I understand it, pollution is a um, uh, air pollution and high levels of it um, predisposed to quite a few conditions now. Um, it, it seems like, you know, every year we're finding out a, a new condition that, that um, is either more likely or more severe in areas with, with uh, poor air pollution. Um, and uh, I think lung health is something that has been, it's long established that if you are in a place with, with uh, high levels of air pollution, your lungs on average um, are not as good as if, if you're in a place with, with less pollution. So um, uh, th there is a lot of concern about this. Um, and in, in, as you said, in this month, really is is the peak of air pollution and we might not know how how bad things will get until you know next month i guess um one of the one of the things is that people with bad lungs um who, who have you know uh long-standing uh lung disease um are probably at a higher risk of of covid so that's one concern um and then there's also the issue of because air pollution potentially has wide-ranging effects um are people less able to uh, combat um, new viruses or bacteria coming into their lungs or, or you know, even their upper airways? Um, is, um, is there a, a wider effect on, on the body's ability to fight infection? 
Um, there, there are all these concerns that um, aren't very well established, as you said, for, for COVID yet, which is a, as yet a very new disease. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, vaccine. We're all hanging on to um, and praying for this um, uh, miracle vaccine that's going to allow us all to uh, get back to some kind of normality, uh, hopefully. Um, I understand that India could play a crucial role uh, in, in a vaccine, um, but most importantly, not just in the development of a vaccine, but importantly, the, the distribution of any future vaccine. Um, what can you tell us about that? So there's, there's lots of science going on in India anyway, but uh, I think um, in terms of, of the COVID response, there has been a, a massive um, uh, um, input from lots of different uh, high-level institutions here. And that's meant that I think there are three vaccines currently in uh, you know, relatively late, so phase two or phase three trials that have been made by Indian um, scientists. Um, and so um, you know, there's promise there uh, within the country, but also um, uh, Indian centers have collaborated with other places that are trialing the vaccine. So, for example, the one that that has been developed in the UK by uh, Oxford University and AstraZeneca, um, there's there's a, um, a plan to uh, trial that. And in fact, I'm not so up to date on it. They may have even started um, uh, with with sites here in India who are recruiting people to to that trial. Um, so th there's a contribution to, you know, getting to a vaccine. But as you said, India is very well known for manufacturing pharm pharmaceuticals, and that includes vaccines. Um, and there are, you know, great success stories uh, related to that and related, you know, not just within India, but also uh, supplying, for example, large numbers of polio vaccine uh, and rabies vaccine and others to, um, uh, to other parts of the world. So hopefully, um, you know, that, you know, leveraging that in India will be um, will be helpful for everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, when I talk to people, um, you know, as I said, you know, we're all waiting for this miracle vaccine that's going to release us from from this pandemic. Um, but as much as you know, um, uh, if we get a, a reliable vaccine, uh, the problem is going to be, as you say, you know, manufacturing it in sufficient quantities to inoculate everybody. That that's going to be such a huge challenge. So it's really reassuring to hear that India um, could play, you know, such an important role in that. But look, I wanted to talk to you in particular about the effect of COVID on black and minority ethnic communities. In the UK, um, there was a report published recently where it said that, that people from black and minority ethnic uh, groups are more likely to test positive and die from COVID-19. And, and I wondered what your thoughts are about this. And, and, and probably the second part of my questions, that's my, the first part of my question. The second part is why hasn't this been reflected in the Indian experience? So if you could just talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Uh, so um, I, I've been following this um, uh, quite closely. Um, in, in fact, a, a couple of friends of mine have done a, a little bit of work in this area. Um, and, and so I keep hearing about what's going on. And um, I think it's, it's a complicated issue, as, as you'll probably know from uh, the reports in the UK, from, from the, um, uh, the Department of Health, for example. Um, and, um, and other research um, that um, the, the, the reason for um, uh, people who are in black and minority ethnic groups um, being more likely to 
contract or be diagnosed with COVID and, and uh, more likely to die. Um, it's, it's not uh, clear in every bit of research uh, whether that is um, because of ethnicity itself um, or because of other factors, or if maybe we can say now um, with corroborative evidence from, from the, the US and from other places, um, maybe we can say that it is a, a, an independent risk factor um, to have, um, I guess, non-white ethnicity. Um, uh, exactly what is leading to that um, is, is, is difficult to say. Um, because there are um, higher, um, uh, there's, there's a, a sort of within um, people in the black and minor, minority ethnic group, um, it, you're more likely to have diabetes, for example, which in is itself um, a risk factor for severe COVID and, and death from COVID. Um, similarly, other chronic diseases of, of the cardiovascular system, uh, heart disease, stroke, um, which, uh, uh, which can factor in. Um, so um, I, I guess um, maybe um, the fact that we're seeing lower case fatality ratios in, in countries where um, people are from, whether that's, you know, whether they've, they've directly um, come from those countries or whether uh, you, you, there's second or third generation um, immigrant families. Um, it, it's, uh, I think at the moment, it, on the face of it, it looks like um, there isn't a, uh, a link in terms of the genetics per se of, of you know, people coming from other places. But I, I think, unfortunately, that's not really been studied very, very much so far. And there have been some um, reports of a, a gene here and there uh, that seems to um, give you a higher risk of, of severe COVID or death. Now, a lot of those studies have been quite small. They've not really been able to you know, say that with, with, with confidence. And there are more studies that are, are looking at, at, at those bits. But also, I think there's an opportunity here to say, well, what is it about um, uh, people, for example, of an Indian background in the UK um, versus uh, in India um, about them in terms of, um, you know, their um, other risk factors, so uh, other illnesses, um, uh, weight uh, or, or, or body mass index, BMI, um, and other factors that might, you know, that, that we think are better established as, as risk factors for bad COVID. Um, maybe, uh, you know, looking at, at people from each country and comparing them head to head um, might answer some of these questions. Whereas at, at the moment, as I said before, that there are many reasons why India might not have um, the, the same percentage of people dying as, as uh, we've seen in the UK and other parts of Europe. Um, to, to tease the, the answer for this apart um, from, uh, from those other factors, you'd probably need to have um, relatively similar uh, people within each country and follow them up and see what happens to them. And thankfully, there has been a call put out by, um, by the UK uh, Medical Research Council uh, about this or, or, or UK Research and Innovation um, about this to try and uh, get people to study this. Um, and so uh, hopefully there will be people from the UK and India, scientists who are um, you know, trying to answer this question within the coming months. Yeah. I mean, is there anything that can be done um, to remedy this increased risk for the more vulnerable ethnic groups around the world? You know, is there anything that, that people can, I, I guess, you know, do um, uh, a, a quick fix? I mean, is it is it more of a lifestyle um, or cultural change that's needed among different groups or, or both? You know, 
So I, I think what has uh, what we've found out so far in, in the last several months um, is probably what we need to stick to. So, for example, um, uh, if you think about people on an individual level um, focusing on what, um, uh, you know, what there is about me, for example, that makes me at a higher risk and then looking at what what might be, um, you know, something that I can tackle. Um, is I guess what um, I think most people have been advising so far. So, so for example, um, uh, I, you know, I, I perhaps don't eat as healthily as I should and maybe don't get enough exercise. And, and we know that um, higher body mass index um, and just, uh, you know, um, general uh, poor health um, are, are risk factors for um, not uh, doing very well if you get COVID. So my focus then, you know, has been, continues to be, and should be on um, uh, working on, on those uh, factors that are in my control. Um, I think until we work out exactly what it is that is responsible for the BAME um, population being at a higher risk, I think um, rather than addressing the, those communities as a whole um, without, you know, with making assumptions and without really knowing what, what is, is driving um, the problem, I think, could, you know, could risk um, uh, maybe even, you know, alienation and, you know, it could be quite controversial to say, well, you're at higher risk, therefore you must have um, uh, more strict measures in place, um, as I think has been discussed in, in the last few months regarding shielding for uh, everyone over a certain age in the UK. Um, I think, you know, making blanket rules like that can be quite uh, challenging and, and can, you know, it is almost definitely likely to then be seen as unfair by certain people within those sections of the population who perhaps for, for um, uh, some reasons are, are not actually at a high risk themselves. They're just, you know, hit by the, the additional restrictions. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, isn't it? I, you know, I think there's a lot of controversy. Um, at the moment about, you know, individual liberties, you know, kind of blanket restrictions as you um, talk about it, you know, um, conflicting with people's individual liberties and their right to choose. Um, so, but anyway, I'm, I'm sure that that's another podcast. Um, do you think that there's enough research um, uh, ongoing around the world looking at, at the issues um, experienced by uh, black and minority ethnic groups? So I think that um, ever since, um, I guess it was probably April or May that there were these signals coming out, thanks to really big studies that are happening already, like, like the ISARIC study in the UK that's, that's got over, I think, 80,000 patients already from, um, uh, from hospitals in the UK. But you know, similar big studies in, in other places have been either set up or they've, they've you know, people have gone back and tried to look at this question within single countries. I, I haven't seen much that has tried to um, uh, look at this question in multiple countries at the same time. There have been uh, attempts at trying to pull all of those different studies from different countries together and try and come up with an answer um, with, with some interesting results that, that suggest that, that, that ethnicity probably is a, a risk factor independent of other things. Um, that was published in, in one of the Lancet journals a couple of months ago. But, um, I'm really happy, as I mentioned earlier, to see this call from, from the UK Research and Innovation um, guys for, for, for research that actually is based in both countries at the same, or you know, in two countries at the same time, um, recruiting people of the same ethnicity 
and and doing a head-to-head -head, um, study. So, you know, had you asked me a month ago, I would have said, I really think these sorts of studies need to be done. Um, apologies if they're already being done, and I am not aware of that, but I now am aware, and I'm, I'm you know, happy that that's the case. Yeah. Oh, well, that's reassuring to hear. Um, well, we're coming um, toward, I guess, the end of our time together um, on this podcast, but um, a couple of questions, I guess, uh, from me before you go. Um, what is what do you think the lasting legacy of this pandemic will be for the world and and for bag for bag teshwar what's you know difficult question but but what do you think you've learned and that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life and, and what do you think we as a world we will learn or should learn although we're i think as as a as the human condition, we're notoriously bad at not learning from uh, thing, bad things that happen to us. But, but what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question, Ava. I, um, I, I'm, um, you know, there are so many things I think that that um, uh, I've learned personally, and that I think um, globally we've learned um, over the the last uh, several months. Um, I, I think. Um, uh, can I give you two answers? One that is perhaps uh, more focused on, on research, just because that's sort of what I, I, I know better at the moment, and one that's a bit more general. Um, I, I, think, I think, firstly, um, I'd like to say that um, learning that it, it, um, you know, learning from the first wave to feed into the second, I think, has been uh, really important. And, and, and on the similar learning from other countries, how things have been done. Um, you know, nowadays there's so much um, uh, in uh, you know transparency, I guess, in 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 most countries about what is happening. Um, we we have the op the unique opportunity to see what happens in other places and then draw from that and try and tailor it to our, our local setting. Um, and I think um, there's been a lot of um, uh, um, learning between countries. Um, throughout the last several months. And I think that, you know, not going into detail, I think some people have pointed fingers at some places that haven't seemed to do that very well. And, um, and I think then have, you know, potentially been in a worse situation because of it. So I think, you know, collaborative working between countries and um, between different people with different expertise, um, there's been so many great examples of that um, throughout the world that, that I've seen. And I've, I've, learnt how that actually works rather than seeing it from the outside as something that you know seems like a good idea i've i've been um had the opportunity to be part of that so in terms of research for example our brain infections global group has um uh, initially we, we had to stop the study because it, it just wasn't a priority at that point and it might even have been dangerous for us to continue doing things not knowing what the virus was like at that point and but you know rather than just um you know um sort of going and doing different things, we thought, hey, we've got this big team of people who um, know each other very well, work with each other very well. So we um, repurposed or, you know, turned our, our, our expertise um, and our team to, to COVID. And so on, on the back of that, we, we set up um, a, a COVID neuro resource, COVID neuro um, webinars, which try and keep people in, in touch with uh, what's going on in terms of neurological problems, which is what we've been uh, focusing on anyway in brain infections global and how um, COVID is is potentially related to quite a few um, uh, of those. 
and, and then we've even uh, been able to set up a study, which hopefully will be starting very soon, to try and find out who is at risk of developing a neurological problem with their, their COVID illness. Um, so it's been great to be part of that and a couple of other um, such uh, um, ventures uh, within, within research here at the Christian Medical College um, and in other parts of South India. Um, but also, um, uh, yeah, I guess being, uh, having the opportunity to be seconded to the WHO Southeast Asia Regional Office, uh, which is based in Delhi here in India, but by the time I joined, uh, there was a lockdown imminently coming in. So I stayed in Vellore and I've been supporting remotely since then. And that again has taught me loads about how um, we can work together between countries um, to, uh, to try and um, prepare for, for what's coming. And I think we're uh, seeing the benefits of that now, um, even though with it feeling so bad, it's sometimes difficult to see that through, uh, through all the badness. Uh, I think if we reflect, uh, we've come a long way since uh, January and February. Yeah, so the power of collaboration, the notion of being stronger together, all of those things um, is so important, isn't it? Um, I don't know if people can hear this on the podcast, but that's my that's my recycling being picked up. If you can hear um, strange noises, this is what happens on our podcast. We usually get my dog barking at some point, but um, well, look, um, as we bring the pod uh, podcast to a close, is there anything else that you'd like to say, Bag? Uh, not really, uh, but just except for thank you very much uh, for having me on this, Ava. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to us uh, continuing to work together and, and doing our little bit to help um, the, in the fight against COVID as well as uh, the broader Brain Infections Global project. Yeah, I look forward to it as well. I think weren't we meant to be in Brazil together this month? We um, And we're doing our Brazil meeting via Zoom over two days. Um, yeah, I can't bear it, right? We should we should be in Brazil. <laughs> I know, I know. That's one thing we're learning as well, right? How to do things uh, remotely and um, uh, try not to be upset that we're not on, on the beach. Sorry, um, near uh, the beach, near the beach. I don't think Professor Solomon had let us be on the beach for very long. That's my experience anyway. No, um, true. <laughs> well, look, you know, we've covered an awful lot. We're so grateful to you for taking the time to chat with us today, Bag. Um, just to reassure everybody that the Encephalitis Society services remain unaffected. So if you need any support or information, our teams are still at your service. Go to encephalitis.info for contact details or to chat online. And as always, if you can support our work at this very challenging time, then please visit encephalitis.info forward slash donate. But most of all, from Bag and I, wash your hands, keep your distance and stay safe, everyone.